This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. It's been over a year now since the old movie Normal changed dramatically into what we're trying to call the new normal. This essentially means smaller movies starring people you don't know very well, often made by first-time directors and playing either in smaller cinemas or just streamed onto your computer. Well, we've tried to look on the good side. After all, small, serious films. Isn't that what we were crying out for back in the old movie Normal times? I've met hundreds of people out here, and they don't ever say a final goodbye. They just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. Yes, it was, and if ever there was a perfect embodiment of the expression, be careful what you wish for, it was surely that. Back in the old movie Normal, we railed against big, dumb superhero movies and mindless, multi-million dollar sequels to car chase action films. <laughs> They got a magnet plane? Hold on. Tell me you're not thinking what I think you're thinking. There's no bridge! Oh, hell no. But right now, I'm starting to miss the occasional movie movie. You know, decent budget, attractive stars, backed up by familiar, skillful character actors, and directed by people who know what they're doing. The sort of films you associate with Steven Spielberg, Catherine Bigelow, Quentin Tarantino, the Coen brothers. I am not Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. You know, uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. What got me thinking along these lines, and feeling guilty about it, of course, was popping along to my favourite suburban cinema last week and being dazzled by the trailers for coming attractions. Ignore anyone who doubts you. In the It's a musical, a big, crowded, pre-COVID musical called In the Heights from the people behind the Broadway smash hit Hamilton. And then there was a trailer for yet another Disney live-action cash-in on an old classic featuring the villainess from 101 Dalmatians, Cruella de Vil. I want to make art. And I want to make trouble. Whether you have the killer instinct is the big question. I hope I do. Back in the old movie normal, I'd have been scathing about such an obvious rip-off, despite the presence of Emma's Stone and Thompson. Now I can hardly wait. And last, and by no means least, Angelina Jolie's back where she belongs in a thriller called Those Who Wish Me Dead. You in trouble? Anyone else in trouble? My dad said, if anything happened, I should find someone I can trust. Are you someone I can trust? Now, these films don't even have to be that good. They just have to be old-fashioned entertainment. In fact, this week sees what may be a precursor, that rare thing, an actual comedy for a change, inspired by the last year, lockdown. Three million pounds, tax-free. No consequences. One for me, one for you, one for the NHS. You have thought about this. You know, I need to go meditate. 
But first, smaller and possibly more improving films, true life civil rights drama Son of the South, and first from eccentric New Zealand filmmaker Florian Harbecht, James and Icy. Someone said to me, oh, your mum's not going to get you a hundred. <laughs> I said, don't worry, be happy. Producer, director, cameraman Florian Harbeck has pretty much invented his own genre. Part documentary, part home movie, part middle European fairy story, part weird art film. A Harbeck film rarely has an actual script. Florian seems to make it up as he shoots and often writes himself into his films. You created James, eh, Lazy? Pop your mouth and that's it. <laughs> Next minute. Well, that's certainly the case with his latest, James and Icy, which is getting very good notices from critics and the likes of Taika Waititi and English maverick pop star Jarvis Cocker. What it is is the countdown to Icy Cross's 100th birthday. And doing a lot of the counting down is her youngest son and caregiver, James. I came back to look after Dad and then I stayed on to look after Mum. We're just living our lives together in harmony. It's a 50-50 relationship. That's a good way. And the other one, one more on this one. I say caregiver. Even at 99, Icy doesn't seem to need much looking after. She's a tough cookie, certainly, but she belies that with a permanently positive attitude, on camera at any rate, and a face illuminated by laugh lines. They come from the most brave and strong fighting tribe in the whole area. I'm my own boss. But James has decided to devote himself to caring full-time for Mum, even if sometimes you wonder which one's doing the bulk of the caring. Back in the day, James was a would-be singer, a would-be actor, a would-be celebrity of some sort. He occasionally stops the action to show old clips of his younger self. Since then, James has taken a turn for the spiritual. They're better? No. They're better? That's better. Oh, okay. James sees himself as a tohonga, a high priest, complete with his own unique chants, borrowing from Maori, Native American, and something of his own devising. His high minded outlook is occasionally at odds with Icy's more down to earth practices. To have a balanced, healthy life, you've got to have a spiritual connection. Glass of bourbon. A day? I've got a very sharp mind. Florian Harbeck clearly fell under the spell of the pair, particularly the bourbon-drinking warrior queen. Icy seems to take life as it comes while still enjoying James's flights of fancy as he counts down the days to the actual birthday. What's the budget for on the party? If I win a million dollars tomorrow, I will spend it all. You're so beautiful he can't stop filming you, Mum. In many ways, James and Icy is a relic from not so much another era, but a timeless one. There are songs from the early days of Kiwi Entertainment, Heidi Mai, a glorious version of Home Sweet Home, sung by the Howard Morrison Quartet, and a surprise appearance by 660's Matthew Walters, who turns out to be another of Icy's relations. <laughs>
but everyone around Kawakawa Northland seems to be related to Icy one way or another. Along the way, there are guest appearances by politicians Jacinda Ardern and Kelvin Davis, Kelvin's Icy's nephew, we discover. We join James and Icy on a fishing expedition and then later a trip to a local fast food outlet. I have a Mac attack with the chips and Fanta for my mum because she's 100 years old. Yeah, it's a um, my yeah, age. I'll just hear about that. It's all very endearing, and I notice that many people are discovering hidden depths in the relationship between mother and son. Is this a reminder of old pop truths? Don't worry, be happy, and que sera, sera. James, if you could take one thing from this life to the next. It'll be my mum. Florian Harbeck's major strength is his ability to engage with the people he talks to without judgment. James and I see clearly like him as much as he likes them. They make a point of including Florian every step of the way to Icy's Day of Days. Your reaction to the film James and Icy may be an indicator of how nice you are. It's definitely a film for family audiences. Icy is reassuring on that. Just really don't catch me in a nutty. <laughs> right now, America is confronting its racist past and present like it hasn't done for the past 50 years. When the civil rights movement came to some sort of conclusion, not just voting rights, but a black president, for goodness sake, there was a widespread feeling that it had been a painful journey, but surely the United States had reached a destination. Over and over, I get the feeling we broke the law. Because you did. What law is that? They broke the law that people don't have the right to do anything the Ku Klux Klan doesn't want them to do. Bunch of cowards. Not so fast, said many black filmmakers, particularly veteran campaigner Spike Lee. Over the past four years, not entirely coincidentally the Trump years, Lee has looked back on the troubled 60s in films like Black Klansman, The Five Bloods and now Son of the South. They remind us that progress is often elusive. This is June 22nd, 1961. Can you recall your earliest memories of race? You grab that bat and you do what's right. I don't think so. This is in your blood, right? This is where you belong, boy. Son of the South was only produced by Spike Lee. The film's writer-director is Lee's longtime editor, Barry Alexander Brown, and it takes place right at the start of the Freedom Riders movement in 1961. Well, I bet you ain't happy you came to Montgomery now, boy. So what's going to happen next? Continue on. But we're still breathing. The Kennedy brothers, President John and Attorney General Robert, had just been elected and were pushing through civil rights legislation to the fury of states like Alabama. Leading the charge against voting rights was the notorious Ku Klux Klan, and Bob Zellner came from a KKK family. Montgomery's a pretty town. With a pretty ugly side to it. Get out of here! Son of the South is based on the real-life story of Zellner. He wasn't a Klan member himself, and he was fascinated by the campaigners for racial equality, initially planning a university project on the subject. So he and some white friends visited the local Baptist church, only to discover that in Montgomery, Alabama, that was enough to encourage someone to call the cops. They've come to arrest you and your friends. For what? 
If I recollect, we had this conversation. They can't arrest us. The Montgomery Police Department might not do many things well, but arresting white boys for attending black churches, they do extremely well. Bob finds himself at odds with his fiancée, Carol Ann, who warns him of the danger of getting involved. He also gets into even more heated arguments with his dyed-in-the-wool KKK grandfather, one of the last performances by the late Brian Dennehy. You want to jeopardise your whole life for some grand principle? Isn't that what they're doing? Some of these old boys around here, they really mean to do you some harm. Son of the South works hard to cram a lot of difficult story into one film, but at the centre of it is the real-life struggle between Bob and his friends and family that culminates in him actually joining a local civil rights organisation as one of the few white volunteers in Alabama. I was in a riot and I walked right through it, unharmed. What is the point you're trying to make? Maybe I could go around college campuses talking to students about the Negro cause. What the hell do you think you're doing? Predictably, this causes disruptions. In the film, the first casualty is his relationship with Carol Ann, whose support for Bob founders when he starts hanging out with a liberal family and one actual New York communist. If you understand the Southern mind... Clifford, I believe I have a Southern mind, and I believe I have an understanding of it. Everybody here, with the exception of Derek Ang, has a Southern mind. Even Bob knows he broke the law to KKK. But by then, Bob has already lost his heart to a probably fictional black campaigner called Joanne. It is a little too good to be true, though stars Lucas Still and Lex Scott Davis make an attractive couple. Son, I'm starting to wonder if you are aware of the poison in the apple that you have bitten into. You know this movement is about more than just voting rights. We're trying to change the world. As for the movie, it's worth seeing as a companion piece to films like The Five Bloods and The United States vs. Billie Holiday. This is 1961, when police let the Klan run riot and lynching was considered to be politics by other means. you got to draw the line somewhere. You stop right now. They're going to kill us. The action of Son of the South, I'm guessing the title is an ironic reference to the Disney Uncle Remus movie Song of the South, happens just after a famous bus boycott when Rosa Parks took a seat in the front of the bus and essentially changed everything. Rosa features in this film too with advice that bears repeating. There's going to come a time when something really bad happens and you're going to have to decide which side you're on. Not choosing is a choice. But you can't help noticing that Son of the South still needed over 50 producers to raise the obviously small budget it needed to get made at all. This may be an indication that some wounds are still too raw to warrant revisiting yet. Would the film have been made if the lead wasn't a white male? Hard to say. You know what I felt when I saw I couldn't get on that bus? Relieved. In my head I was saying, thank God. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. What do you think Jesus would have done in my place? You are not Jesus, Bob. Got that right. But the real-life Bob Zellner did stand up as proof that not all white southern males are the stereotype movie rednecks. And maybe Bob's actions helped push his neighbours a little quicker along the path to common decency. We hold the moral high ground. 
Bitch, you're supposed to be non-violent now. I'm having a real big problem with that right now. When I went to lockdown, I knew hardly anything about it, except it was shot in fairly limiting conditions at the height of London's own lockdown last year. I also knew that it starred two actors I rather like, the affable Chuetel Ejiofor and that eternal good sport Anne Hathaway, and that it was directed by the usually reliable Doug Lyman. We heard London's in total lockdown. We are all locked in this psychological prison of burning aloneness. How's Linda? She's somewhere in the house. Is there some type of issue? What I didn't realise was that it was written in a couple of weeks by Stephen Knight, who wrote the even more self-limited film Lock, and the whole thing was shot in 18 days. It takes place mostly in a flat shared by Paxton and Linda. We are fine. Not only is everything not okay, nothing is okay. Linda said she was planning to end our thing. Nobody wants to live alone. Adding a certain frisson to their lockdown is the fact that they've just broken up. Broken up, but unable to actually separate. Paxton, on the surface, seems your classic underachiever, a casual van driver. Linda, on the other hand, is a high-flying executive. She's able to work through an endless series of Zoom meetings. As CEO of Miracor UK, it is my unfortunate duty to let you know that your contracts will be terminated. How do you sleep? Hello. Hello. Trouble is, she's starting to hate her job even more than she used to, particularly when it involves firing many of her workmates. The fact that her bosses are impressed isn't much consolation. Like many people in lockdown, Linda and Paxton start resuming bad habits, smoking, say, and some pretty enthusiastic drinking. For two weeks, we are locked together here. You know, you think I'm so happy and normal. No, I, I'd never accuse you of being happy and normal. Now, I said I didn't know much about lockdown going into it. That's not quite true. I knew that it hadn't been greeted with universal enthusiasm. Had the trad romantic comedy fallen out of favour? Did some critics feel it was too soon to have fun with a lockdown? Wouldn't they like the fact that it suddenly turned into a heist movie? The nice people that I fired, they were fired because of me. It's not about the virus. It's about who I am and what I do for a living. You fired them well. Thank you. Is that a glass of wine? Yes. Yeah, it is. Well, my response to that is, they're crazy. I loved all of that, and I particularly loved the fact that you never knew who was going to suddenly pop up in a Zoom meeting. There's Stephen Merchant and Mindy Kaling. There's Ben Stiller and Lucy Boynton, one of the few good things in Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, my God, is that Ben Kingsley? We have a situation, Merchant, and all the major department stores are closing. They want everything out of the next four days. We have a problem. At Harrods, we have $4 million worth of jewellery. Someone's going to have to pack the valuables up. I believe you are a man who can be trusted. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I can be trusted. The cinema at which I saw lockdown was regularly rocked by a sound I hadn't heard for ages. Enthusiastic middle-aged laughter. Lockdown rests on a formula as old as time, or at least as old as Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies. We love Paxton and Linda, they can't stand each other. And we wait for them to finally catch up with the fact that they were wrong. It's going to have to be someone that we trust, so that means inevitably it's going to be me. What are you taking out of Harris? A diamond. It's a new day. Since lockdown, I'm looking back at myself like that was then, and this is now. 
The sticking point occurs when Paxton, currently not allowed to work, has to be employed under the table, as it were, because Superstore Harrods needs to clear all their outstanding orders. One of those orders turns out to be a famous diamond, to be delivered by Linda's firm to an extremely unsavoury dictator. The bastards who told me to fire those people, they are bad. You and I are good. Good is better than bad. You're talking about stealing a diamond. Three million pounds. Live wild or die, Linda. And I'm feeling Tempting. Adding an extra degree of difficulty is the fact that the fictitious name selected for Paxton to work illegally under is the hard-to-ignore Edgar Allan Poe. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, what else could possibly go wrong? I just need to get the gentleman's name. His name? Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe! Wow! What can go wrong? Lockdown one last ride. And all the time we're seeing the surreal side of the whole of London, including Harrods, totally closed down. We're also reminded of some once familiar sights, like queuing up outside a convenience store, waiting for some idiot to buy more toilet rolls than anyone could possibly need. I've been furloughed. Now there is literally zero purpose to my life. I'm going to get provisions. We need milk, bread. Wait, how many asses have you got? Piss off. Lockdown makes no important points other than that a lot of wealthy people got and are getting even wealthier during the pandemic. But it was enough that it was funny, it was well enough written, it was shot at pace, and it rested on two extremely likeable performers doing what they do. Oh Lord, of art in heaven. Oh my God, my God. Forgive us the sin of deception. Who'd have thought a month ago we'd be doing this? Not me. And I'm feeling good. Over the years, people need to be regularly reminded that entertainment can be just as important as education and enlightenment. And right now, the pendulum may be moving away from the earnest towards the trivial. But rest assured, it will swing back and we'll all be demanding more fibre in our diet again. And on that confident guarantee of endless movie variety, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week.